Welcome to the November version of the Watermark Equipping webinar. My name is Nathan Wagnon. I am the Director of Equipping and Apologetics here at Watermark and am one of the hosts. I'm joined by my infamous, or no, 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 I mean famous, like cultically I believe famous. believe notorious. <laughs> notorious <laughs> is probably what a we theme, talked yeah. about, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Nika Swalding here, Director of Women's Equipping and Curriculum, and just want to take the opportunity to thank Nathan for his service. Happy Veterans Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We appreciate it's you all the veterans that. out there. Yeah. Absolutely, and so grateful for you um, only today. So, yeah. uh, and then to my left <laughs> is the venerable Sylvia Bateman. Oh my so. goodness. I wasn't here when we were picking words for everyone. So, I mean. You should have heard of what we said about you before. You I know. I had a mic in here the whole time. Little do you know. Uh, yeah, I'm Sylvia Bateman. I'm the stewardship coordinator. So I get to hang out with any of you money wisers and, um, and Karis and that sort of stewardship realm and glad to be taking your questions today. I'm the one that will be responding on that questions uh, tab that Nathan was talking about. And like you said, we'll, we'll ask the ones as they come up pertinent to the conversation and get asked more than once and then we'll be sure to follow up with you as well. And so sitting to my left is the very hopeful Hope Harris and it is an honor that she is with us. Yeah, yeah. So Hope is our guest panelist for today. Um, Hope, we appreciate your time and your willingness to come share your story. Happy to be here. Yeah, love it. Love it. I, I know you had some friends from maybe Australia and New Zealand. Just yeah. south of Alabama. Yeah. Right. So, that, that's some of my more southern friends. Southern friends, yeah. Okay. Oh. A, a thick accent. You've got your southern friends in Alabama and then, you know. Very that, southern. You know, yes. Very southern in Australia. Yeah. The too. deep south. Yeah. Where their toilets go the other direction. Uh, well, on that a serious note, uh, Hope, let's just jump right in. I, I know that... Um, here at Watermark, you're well known and, and even beyond, but you have quite a presence in um, within the gay community as well. And so we'd love to just take some time to hear your story. And so why don't you tell us about it? I'd yourself. love to share it. You know, we all have a story to tell. And this is mine of how I resolve my faith and sexuality. Um, I'll just give you a brief overview of my past and where I am today. Um, at the age of four, I witnessed violent death of my mother. And I thought God had abandoned me. When I entered into the foster home, and my foster parents sexually and physically abused me, I thought God had rejected me. When my foster parents told me I was supposed to be a boy, I pretty much thought God had made a mistake. Mm -hmm. At 11, I found myself very attracted to other girls and women and felt very other than and misunderstood. By the time I was in my 20s, I fully embraced my um, authentic self, if you will, as a lesbian. And I believe that about myself, the most important thing was my same-sex attractions and desires. Mm -hmm. In addition, it caused me to think that God was not fair for creating me gay and then condemning me to hell. And that made me really angry. And I grew in hatred towards God, Christians, and the church. So never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine I'd be sitting here today telling you about what God has done in my life mm -hmm. and become one of those people, you know, <laughs> a Christian, not a lesbian, a Christian. But for the next 25 years, I lived in Seattle, Washington, and I was committed to gay rights and marriage equality and was in a long-term relationship. In 2006, I began, my life began to spiral downward because I was in a car accident that nearly took my life. And I had to evaluate and figure out who I was and why I was really here. Mm -hmm. 
my long-term relationship began to unravel with my soulmate, and life just began to deteriorate in general. We as a couple wanted peace, so we sought couples counseling, practiced Buddhist meditation, went to drumming circles, and a synagogue. Yet, peace was elusive. In the fall of 2008, I reconnected with a Christian friend, and she invited me to come to East Texas for a visit. During my stay, my friend asked me what I wanted most in life, and I said, I want peace. Mm. And she shared the words of Jesus from John 14, 27, where Jesus says, I am giving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. These words haunted me for days and brought me to a realization that I wanted what Jesus was offering me. On February 14, 2009, I gave my life to Christ and soon returned to Seattle to find the locks on my doors had been changed. I was denied access to my banking accounts and forced basically to couch surf. My gay friends labeled me a betrayer and I felt all alone in the world but yet some of this never mattered because Jesus was becoming the most important aspect of my life. God quickly uprooted me from the beautiful Pacific Northwest <laughs> to East Texas. <laughs> yeah, totally not in my life plan. <laughs> After all, Texas was geographically undesirable, politically incorrect, and most importantly, East Texans didn't like people like me, you know, lesbians. So I referred to this season of my life as my desert experience. I was wandering alone in East Texas, just me and God for a season. It is, however, where my relationship with Christ began to grow and take root. At this time, I believed I was a gay Christian and went so far as to tell God my sexuality was off the table. In December 2009, God began to challenge me to rethink my beliefs about faith and sexuality. As you can imagine, I was just more than a tad resistant to that idea. <laughs> Actually, I shouted at God, you can't make me ex-gay. You created me this way. It is who I am. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, God was patient with me, and he was gracious enough to connect me to a ministry in the DFW area called Living Hope. People in this ministry walk beside those seeking sexual and relational wholeness. My new friends encouraged me to read the Bible and see what God had to say about sexuality for myself. So never one to back down from a challenge. I read it. <laughs> and I soon discovered that God calls all who follow him to surrender the most important things in our life to him. This was the opposite of what I believed about my authentic self, which allowed me to live life on my terms, be who I wanted to be, do whatever I wanted to do, and love whoever I wanted to love. Soon I discovered the words of Jesus in Mark 8, 34 through 37, and I found them in the message version, and they pierced my soul. Jesus said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself. Yeah, get this part, your true self. Mm -hmm. 
What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true self and authentic self. That really perplexed me and it cut deep within me. And in that moment, I knew I needed to surrender my sexuality to God, that God was calling me to die to my authentic self and embrace a new life in Christ, to accept the Bible as absolute truth with the authority to evaluate, inform, and guide my life, to recognize that my attractions and desires were very real, but I was the one functioning out of relational brokenness with women to pursue a holy sexuality through sexual purity and celibacy. Although it felt like a lifelong death sentence of surrender, it has actually birthed new life within me. And I, in turn, have discovered a God who is bigger than my attractions, more than my sexual identity, and greater than my temptations. I live daily in the confidence that I can pursue a holy sexuality and honor God with every aspect of my life. I am no longer defined as a lesbian, but rather by my true identity as a child of God. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. I hope that was was really good. I think you, you touched on a couple of things there that is a pretty natural segue into formulating a, a biblical foundation for thinking about how do we look at sexuality and identity? Yeah. Um, because I, so much of the, of the culture struggle or culture war that's been going on in the LGBTQ plus community pushing forward their agenda that has framed the conversation around identity. You're not just hope, you're a lesbian hope like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's intricately tied to your identity. So Unpack that a little bit more in in your journey on the role that that your identity played in your conversion. And then also, as we talked a few weeks ago, not just in your your conversion to Christianity, but then you would say where you released your sexuality to Christ, which was a whole other process. Yeah. Um, What did I how did identity what role did that play? um, Well, that really was the uh, as I became a Christian and grew in my faith, identity was paramount to me because, as I said, you know, it was the defining aspect of my personhood. So I had to really um, grapple with where identity comes from. And um, I really spent about three and a half years solidly in Genesis 1 through 3. Mm -hmm. And I kept coming back to that as I read the Bible and, you know, a few other key verses would be Psalms 139, because God created us fearfully and wonderfully. And it was like, well, what's the connection? Did God create me as a lesbian or, you know, did he really create me straight? Those were big questions I had to um, unpack for myself. And I kept coming back to Genesis 126 through 28. And it's all about God creating us in his image. Mm -hmm. And throughout my reading of scripture, I never once discovered a reference to the homosexual or gay identity. What I did discover were references to same-sex relationships and what the biblical standard is overall for sexual ethics. And that really challenged me. So in 
in relationship to that, I think that we really have to understand that no matter who we are and how we identify or what our hangups or habits or struggles are, that God commands us throughout the New Testament, especially if you read Paul, that we are to embrace our new life in Christ, to put off our old man, mm-hmm. that everybody's commanded to surrender and deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow Jesus. That scripture in Mark 8, 34 through 37 mm-hmm. really speaks to that. And it's, you know, again, referenced in Matthew and Luke. So um, if we look a little bit closer at it, I think it's overall for most people, it's important to understand that the concept and the idea of orientation identity have only really been around for about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And Sigmund Freud is the one that brought that into being, especially between 1910 and 1924. And he believed that one of the most uh, primary or basic needs that a person can have is the need for sexual pleasure. And as a result of that, there's an orientation. It doesn't matter whether it's towards the same gender or the opposite gender. But primarily, we are defined by our attractions and desires. And people miss that. They miss that historically, and they miss that from the psychology aspect. They just think it's always been around, Mm -hmm. that God actually impacted it in the Bible at the very beginning, and he didn't. Mm -hmm. It's a secular view. And um, that's really key to understanding where born this way kind of developed and formed and morphed into. So, you know, uh, born this way. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it's caused a lot of uh, messaging to take place, especially in the 1980s. And I'm going to give you some history from the gay rights movement so you can kind of get the fact that our culture has really been swayed by a very intentional message from the gay rights movement, one that I participated in full heartedly. And I've read the book, owned it as a field guide, kind of had to give it away for a while. Now I want to own it again. But there's a book called um, After the Ball by Marshall Kurt and Hunter Madison. And they formulated a plan in the, the subtitle of that is how America will conquer its fear of hatred for gays in the 90s. This book is a master plan for the gay rights movement. The three main goals are to desensitize how people view gays and lesbians, stop prejudice and hatred, and convert straight America. In my blog, Love is a Verb, titled Messaging, I cover all of the seven key goals that are in that book, specifically the one about being born gay, so or being born this way. Let me just read you from the book itself. Gays will be portrayed as victims, not as aggressive challengers. The message will be promoted is that you are born this way, born gay, therefore making a person powerless to change his attractions and behaviors. The gay rights movement has been very intentional and strategic in promoting that messaging. And I'd say they've been pretty effective at it, Uh wouldn't you? Sylvia, do you have a question? Yeah, somebody said, um, if anybody has asked this and what your response would be when people say, hey, you you were never homosexual, rather just curious experiment, since some believe that being LGBTQ plus is not actually choice and how we are or aren't created from birth. And so if you've ever faced that question and kind of your response to that of 
Well, it's actually a question I had to ask myself. It's a great question. It's a basic question that I think people who struggle with this issue really need to have an honest look at. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, that God gives us room to wrestle with the questions, but it is not in our best interest to reject God's overall intention and plan for identity, for sexuality, for gender and marriage. And we have to go back to what, so what was God's design and intention? If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, you see that attractions were built in between a man and a woman. That was a hard pill for me to swallow. Mm-hmm. But did God make a mistake by then saying, oh, wait, I made a mistake. I didn't really just intend for it to be between a man and a woman, but it's okay if you are attracted to the same gender. I don't think he did. And I think God is very good and loving in his response. And that has to dictate how we look at scripture. Was he cruel and demeaning and withdrawing pleasure for us by saying, no, it's just between a man and a woman? Or did he say, this is what is in your highest good and your best interest, and I designed you this way on purpose, with a purpose and with a plan? And if that's the case, then I, as a believer, have to embrace the authority of Scripture to direct and guide my life above and beyond my feelings. The other thing that we have to wrestle with, and I really had to wrestle with this, Nathan and Nika know, I took a theology class just to resolve the whole thing about sin nature, because, man, that offended me big time, you know, because we're all born with one orientation, and that's towards sin. And that's a direct result of the fall that happened in Genesis 2 and 3. And, you know, people don't really want to talk about that because then the onus is that I can't live by my feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, that God's that cruel. You know, why did he create me this way? But really, if we have to look at it, we're just broken people living in a sinful, broken world. And we're living out of our inclinations towards sin. But that's what most people fail to realize, frankly. So. Most of y'all listening probably know that over the last month, this issue has been stirred up around Watermark. I mean, Watermark's been in the news when one of our yeah. former members posted a Matthew 18 letter because he, he chose through accepting homosexuality as, a, as an acceptable way of life that him choosing that separated himself from our membership. And so we just confirmed that through a Matthew 18 letter. Jen Hatmaker recently has mm-hmm. come out with her blogs um, kind of in support of same-sex marriage. I even responded to a pastor here in Texas just a few weeks ago where the guy just said, like, our sexuality is good. God made it good. And I think that what it lacks is a, is just a, a holistic biblical framework to think about this issue, because we would say, yes, sexuality yeah. is good, period. Like there Genesis one and two. God paints the picture of for his intent. Um, of of what this is supposed to look like, and he does call it. This is very good. Yeah. Um, but then people forget about Genesis three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that sin enters into that equation, and it's literally a nuclear chemical bomb that goes off in God's created order, and it and it literally distorts and and causes chaos in everything, including our sexuality. Yeah. And so. I mean, we would say if somebody said, hey, I'm born this way, then we, then we would say, hey, like you said, we are born with a sin nature. And that not just in our in the way that we lie and cheat and steal, but in our sexuality. Yeah. Right. And so 
where someone, even me, I, I promise you my sexuality is broken. You know, there are ways that I am pulled and even pushed by culture and, and the world and the flesh and the enemy to, to act in ways and have desires to act in ways outside of God's best for me, yeah. you know? And so um, I think we've, we have failed to, and by we, I mean the church, I think has, has failed to, to push out a, a, a biblical view of uh, creation, the fall, um, how Jesus redeems that and how he's recreating it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to where then it, it becomes focused on, no, this is not about how my broken sexuality is now good. No, the scripture never says that. It does say that what was good is now distorted and is dysfunctioning. One of the things I love about your story, Hope, and we just got to know each other a lot, is that you do start at the creation. I think mm -hmm. so many times when people engage in this conversation, they're starting post-Genesis 3. You know, the yeah, falls right. happen, and now we're trying to piece together in a brokenness, and we forget to ask the bigger question of what was it always supposed to be. Yeah, right, and so right. I heard you say something um, I want to go back to. You talked about you had to basically subservient your desires to your identity. Your identity had to play a higher role than, than the desires that you have. And so I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding, uh, maybe because of things that the church has communicated or that the culture has communicated that to battle sexuality means that you have to change your desires. And what I hear you saying is, no, you just have to master them, that sometimes That's they right. won't change, yep. but instead they have to be oriented appropriately. And so why don't you just talk about that for yourself? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a Christian going on eight years now and Honestly, my desires and attractions haven't changed. And that's a big deal because if I were to just go on any given day by my feelings, I'd be down in the neighborhood. You know, I'd be down waving a flag because my feelings can dictate how I live mm. or I can think through thoughtfully the mandates of scripture. And I think one of the, the problematic areas for people who struggle with this issue and with pro-gay theology in general is that we ignore the primary mandates of Jesus. Mm. Jesus primarily said you must surrender the most important aspects of yourself. If you go back to Matthew 19 and you look at the story of the rich young ruler, you know, it's one of the saddest statements in history to me in, in the Bible is that he went away disheartened mm -hmm. when Jesus said, give up your riches and mm -hmm. follow me because mm -hmm. he was a good guy. He was doing good things. Hey, I was a good person. I you know, ran after school programs for over 600 kids, worked in public housing for 15 years and did a lot of really good things. But the most important thing to me was my sexuality, just like with the rich young ruler. And I had a choice to make at that point and say, is the most important thing in my life worth losing my relationship with Jesus? Mm -hmm. And if Jesus is more important, then that means I live in surrender. Mm -hmm. That means that I have to look at scripture, which commands us all to live in surrender, to be transformed into the likeness and image of God. This side of heaven, I'll never be perfect. This side of heaven, I may live in sexual and relational brokenness the rest of my life. And I think the church uh, is erroneous a lot of times to say there's a there's a switch that you can just flip yeah. on. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had people give me books, tapes and have these long, drawn out conversations about, well, let me fix you with this guy. Mm. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're missing the point. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not attracted that way. And if God wants to, I've had to resolve it for myself that, hey, you know, if 
if God wants me to be with a man, then he's going to change my desires and give me an attraction and a heart for that guy. He's allowed me to be healed enough that I can engage in a healthy way with men. They no longer disgust me and I no longer hate them, which is a good gift for me. I have some great friends that are guys now. But, you know, I think that we have to look at it in a different way. Will sin ever go away? Mm-hmm. Someday, it, maybe it, not in today. He, in yeah. heaven, yeah. I would, I would yeah. make one point on that too. This is a this is a really really interesting and important point that you're making that I really appreciate because so many people, especially in our culture, and you guys have to remember that Ephesians chapter two verses one through three is so crucial for understanding this because there in that passage Paul is talking about he's like hey the the world is the enemy's playground and the enemy is pushing his yeah. agenda forward and your flesh your and by by flesh there Paul is talking about just your natural abilities alone separate from the empowerment of the holy spirit just what you want to do right is you live in a culture where the enemy is pushing his agenda and your flesh wants to hear that yeah. right your natural ability alone and I think that what's so fascinating about it is, is that there's something about the Jesus kind of way that Jesus calls us into where somebody can eventually identify with what Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, now catch this, right? The life that I now live in the flesh, right? Yeah. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for yeah. me. So your flesh is a is is an amoral kind of neutral desire, and it's either going to be ruled by an obsessive desire that's mm-hmm. that will pull you into the world and and the enemy's agenda, or it can be ruled by Christ. Yeah. Right. And when it's ruled by Christ, now all of a sudden men aren't the enemy anymore. Right. And you don't you don't just say that like that desire is has actually changed. Yeah. It has. And that's 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 what transformation is. Right. But. The order of desire is so important because if you keep your obsessive desire about what you want supreme, then you're going to continue to either be fully given over to sin or you're going to continue to hit that wall over and over and over again. But there's this there's a transforming work that happens through the Holy Spirit as we recognize our desires for what they are and and make them subject to Christ himself. Yeah, great. Hey, so why don't you jump in here? Yeah, we've had a couple questions come in that are kind of around the same vein. And so we'll pose that. And it says, um, basically the question of, hey, it seems that there's a rise in churches that say, hey, homosexuality is not a sin. That's how I'm interpreting scripture. And so how do you respond to people who interpret scripture to say that homosexuality is not a sin? Well, I think that uh, people probably have to learn how to truly interpret scripture that you can't just isolate one scripture and say that, you know, well, this is just down on homosexuals. There's specifically seven verses that any pro-gay theologian will say, God made a mistake here. They're not saying that outright, but they are implying that there's something wrong here, that it's a culturally sensitive issue, or it's this, or, or in you the know, context of yeah, pedophilia, or yeah. sort of the, some of the arguments that we're hearing more yeah, about, right? All of those things. But they never go back to the whole of Scripture when it talks about sexual ethics, when it talks about God's intended purpose for sexuality, gender, and marriage. And you have to read it in the whole rather than just in an isolated event and try to justify it that way. If I want, I could justify it. 
you know, but I wouldn't be true to all of scripture either. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really an important point that people miss. And God, for some reason, and I'm pretty stubborn, so I didn't talk to a whole lot of people when I was trying to resolve my faith in sexuality. I kind of just say, okay, strong concordance. You know, I'm going to get this out. It's got this Greek and Hebrew thing. Thank God it has numbers beside it so I can just (laughs) read it that way. But, you know, I kind of taught myself. I didn't even read books on either side of the coin until well into the journey. Mm. And I think that that's a redeeming quality of scripture is that if we say, okay, I'm going to be true to the path of seeking truth, and we allow the Holy Spirit, whose job is to lead and guide us into all truth, that's in John, you know, then I think he will. Yeah. And I I know that is what has transformed my thinking and the way that I believe today is that I've said I have to be true to truth first above my feelings. And I have mm-hmm. to say that the whole scripture lines up with this line, with God's intended purpose, and that we are the ones that respond in sinful brokenness or relationship and that Really, honestly, if we really look at it, Nathan kind of alluded to it, and um, it was Galatians, Galatians 2. 2. Yeah, yeah well, and, you know, if you go to, you know, Second Corinthians 10, it talks about that we are struggling against philosophies and mindsets mm-hmm. and things of this world. And really at the fall, right when the snake came to Eve and said, did God really say? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest question posed by people who struggle with this issue is, did God really say? Yeah. Is he really good? And if he is, I think then the other thing that a lot of people don't look at, and it's something I've had to look at, is that at the beginning, and because the enemy of our soul doesn't just come one-on-one and beat us over the head and beat us to death with our temptations, but he influences the world's That's right. view. That's right. And the world's view and his enemy is God. And if he can sway the best part of God's creation, the only part of God's creation created in his image Mm. and say, God made a mistake. God didn't create you straight. He created you gay. Then he robs God of a full relationship with that person. And that was a big, hard pill for me to swallow. And quite honestly, I probably spent six months throwing my Bible across the room, (laughs) angry, not even sure if I was angry at myself, God, or the enemy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not a person that goes around, if you know me well, man, I don't go chasing after demons. But I have to say, I was lied to, and I was swayed into believing a false identity. Mm. I was swayed into um, idolizing women. I was swayed into objectifying them for my own pleasure, Mm. for my own gain. You know, Hope, one of the things that I've noticed, too, is, you know, it's interesting that I would have anything in common with a handbook that's pushing the homosexual agenda. But one of their their key points, you said, was to stop prejudice and hate. And, And that's where an area of where the church hasn't always done a great job. And I think historically we've seen moments where um, churches have isolated the sin, isolated this community and, and been more prejudicial and hateful. And so I do think sometimes this question, Sylvia, that you pose, I think the tr- there's a pendulum, right? So maybe it was too far to the left where people were so hateful and prejudicial. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing a pendulum almost swing too far to the right as if to to be just, you know, to say, hey, this isn't a sin at all. And, and so so just to pose the the bigger question, Hope, I mean, you are a woman in our church and you obviously 
have been on both sides of this pendulum. You stood toe to toe with protesters. I know when you were a gay rights activist and now you're standing toe to toe with folks who are listening to you saying, stop being hateful. It's not a sin. Right. And yeah. so tell us, how should Christians in the church respond to gay identified Christians and people and those who struggle just because this is such a big issue and we aren't seeing clarity in the church. So this isn't like the issue of, you know, adultery where you're hard pressed to find a church that says it's okay. Um, but this is an issue where you could literally go down the street and find a church that would be accepting of it. And so help us, help guide us. Well, I think it's really important. Uh, one of the heroes of my faith, um, Cy Rogers, I'm sorry, I didn't put his resources up there. Um, he says this, that same-sex attractions are, are legitimate needs being met in illegitimate ways. And then he goes on to say that it's really a hunger issue and quotes from John 6:35, where it says that Jesus says, I am the bread of life mm -hmm. and he who comes and follows me will hunger and thirst no more and you'll have eternal life. And I think we have to look at it from that perspective. Other things I think that um, the body of Christ really needs to understand that, yes, it is a sin issue at the core of it, but people are being swayed by their perceptions and by some unmet needs. Yeah. For example, acceptance, attention, affirmation and affection. Well, those are unmet needs. We can't go back to the womb, right? But we as brothers and sisters in Christ can come back beside someone and say, I just so appreciate how smart you are, Nika. Thank you, know, you even with your red glasses. Even you with know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but or you know, I can affirm her. Yeah. And we can affirm our brothers and sisters and the things that God created them with, with the gifts and the talents they have. And let me tell you, folks that struggle with this issue are crazy intelligent, crazy creative. They have gifts way beyond anything that you could think of. And so we really need to walk beside them and affirm them in their femininity and their masculinity. That doesn't mean that I'm ever going to wear you know, a tiara or I'm going to have any <laughs> lace or pink. No, thank you. That's just not going to be me. But it does mean that I can be affirmed as a woman created mm -hmm. in Absolutely. the image of God Absolutely. and that he created me a specific way for a specific purpose. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think it's really important that we um, give the Holy Spirit the grace and the space to work in a person's life. We want to push and say, change now, yeah, yeah. go from gay to yeah. straight, because that would be miraculous. And hey, look, if you have the formula for that, will you please call me after the show <laughs> and we can get that? Well, if you have that formula for any struggle. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that, but that brings up a really good point that I think we should, I'll double click on here is that, is that for so many churches and for so many Christians, we, we view any kind of sin issue as external only. Yeah. And so we're, we'll push in certain ways. We'll even form programs around pushing people yeah. toward what I would call behavior modification. You just need to not do that anymore. Right. Well, or, that's, that's, that's asinine. Yeah. Like, read more, yeah. pray more and you'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Like, the, like there's a here, check this list yeah. and, and you'll, and you'll be better kind of thing. And, and that's just not Christian. What is Christian is what I would call belief modification. Yeah. And that's where I think that instead of when, when we encounter people in the church, because I really kind of categorize these people into two different groups. One are people who would who are actually struggling with their same sex attraction and they're attempting to be faithful to Christ. 
And then there's a whole another group of people we'll talk about in a minute who are not in struggle with it all. They're giving yeah. over to it. But I'm talking about specifically this first group of people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And I think that it's our job as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ to sh- uh, shepherd ourselves, all of us, regardless of the sin issue, uh, in, in such a way that doesn't put the center on, on how we act, but rather on how we believe. Yeah. And so because ultimately belief come, or uh, action comes out of belief and not the other way around. So Absolutely. It's a, so I think, like you said, which is why it's so crucial, that identity factor is so central to this, because that's where Jesus was working on you first. I mean, yeah. he wasn't like, hey, Hope, you know, you were given over to that desire again, you know, see what you did. He was going after your identity. He's yeah. like, hey, you're my daughter, right? I have created you in a certain way and I want to redeem that. Yeah. Like, so there's a deep rooted identity. And then out of that comes transformation. Like you talked about a change of desire. Yeah. And so um, that that's, that's one of the things that I think we have to get right as a church is to, instead of trying to push people toward behaving a certain way, right. instead shepherding them toward a gospel centered, Christ centered identity and belief out of which the Holy Spirit transforms yeah. people. Well, and I want to speak to that, too, is that, you know, I think that's one of the erroneous things that the body of Christ probably does pretty poorly is that um, they want to, you know, change your behavior. But we we forget that a person has to be captivated by Christ yep. and motivated enough Amen. to Come change, on. you know, because if I don't know who Jesus is and, you know, we can go back a little bit before that passage in Mark 8, 34 through 37. And Jesus asks, who do you, you say, say I, I am? am. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that's really it. Important you know, if he's if he's the Messiah, if he's the Christ, then I need to bow before him. If he's my creator, then, man, he's got it going on. And I'm the one that really needs to submit to his authority and his lordship. And what I often tell people is, you know, it's my motivation. My whole motivation for living has changed. I once sought to please myself. I was loud, proud, and in your face. And I wanted you to accept me. That was my drive Mm -hmm. in life. That's why I was a gay rights activist. Mm -hmm. My whole motivation was, dang it, I'm going to change the laws of this land. And I'm going to make you accept me. And I'm going to be on equal level with all straight people. But Jesus came into my life and radically changed my motivation over a period of time. And you've got to give people space for that. And you've got to point them to Jesus and let them fall in love with him. He is a beautiful savior. And those are words that, you know, coming from a Tom girl that you probably wouldn't hear very often, but he is. And he has captivated my heart and mind. You know, uh, Keller says that, you may not go to hell for being a homosexual just as a heterosexual may not go to heaven. But it's really an issue of our heart. Is Jesus Lord of our lives? And that is the motivation for my life. I want to honor and glorify God. And really, Jackie Hill Perry did a really awesome um, teaching called Sexuality in the Gospel. And she refers often to this that 
we are created to glorify God in every aspect of our lives, in our personhood, our gifts, our talents, our sexuality. Mm -hmm. It is to glorify God. He gave us the good gift of sex to glorify him, Mm -hmm. to find fulfillment and pleasure through his good gift. Mm -hmm. But we miss that. And, you know, I often tell people that what used to be loud, blurring music, the only thing you saw, heard, or felt when you entered a room when you were around me is more like white noise in the background now and I mean there are days I wake up and I go who are you I don't (laughs) recognize you you're such a different person and if you saw pictures of me eight years ago you'd know I'm not the butch girl that I was I'm Mm -hmm. still tongue girl but I'm not butch anymore you know I'm I'm still loud (laughs) proud and in your face I'm not not sure well I think I might still be loud proud in my face yeah Yeah. you said something interesting I want to pause there too because I Nate and I have have read uh, just some work by Wesley Hill. I know you have as well. And you talked about um, our sexuality is meant to glorify God. And so me, I'm a single woman and you're a single woman and Nate and Sylvia are married. So Nate and Sylvia are sitting here going, yeah, yeah. Glorify God with sexuality. And and I are going, so what does that mean? What's our alternative? Right. right. So what does that mean in terms of how do we encourage, um, there's something to be said for celibacy is what I'm getting at here. And that so many times we think of that as a junior varsity or maybe a step down. And I think that Wesley Hill has done some favors for folks to talk about. This is an incredibly valuable thing that we don't do um, because we're deprived, but we do it out of obedience to our Lord. And that is how ultimately we glorify God with our sexuality is by abstaining from certain practices. And, um, and so Nate, I don't know if you want to jump in here or hope as well, but just Wesley had just a, a great little article and, and just to talk about as we, that's a big ask, right? To to ask people to go into a life of celibacy. Yep. And so if we're going to ask people that, how do we come alongside them? How do we love them well? Because I think sometimes the church can be, hey, well, just just don't have sex. And that's what God wants. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing to ask of people, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. nothing more than God has asked. Um, yep. We're not putting a, a burden on there that God hasn't asked, but there's a sensitivity to the burdens that are, that are being laid on us. And so. Yeah. The only thing I would say is, is, and I'm, Sylvia, I'm sure you would mm-hmm. echo this as well, is uh, anytime anything is elevated to the status of God mm-hmm. that's not God, then it will ultimately leave you wanting. Yeah. And yes. so, look, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and be like, hey, human sexuality, the way that God created it between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship is a good thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, hopefully, Margaret is going, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but... But but I would also say that as soon as anyone says, hey, I, I, I want to pursue that at all costs, yeah. right. then all of a sudden it becomes a demon and it kills you. Yeah. Right. One of the things that I've heard um, consistently from especially guys that I, I mean, obviously I'm around guys a lot, especially guys who have just gotten married, is that as a single man, you look forward to this experience mm-hmm. so much, especially if you stay you know, celibate or abstinent until marriage. And it's funny, you, you, you talk to them, you know, a week or two weeks after their honeymoon and like, hey, what's going on? And it's like, hey, they're like, yes, sex is great, but it's not ultimate, you yeah, know, yeah. and that's and so there's there's a what I would tell my one single friends, whether they're heterosexual or if they gay identify is that, hey, don't elevate sex mm-hmm. to the status of God, because there's only one person who sits on the throne and Anybody else sitting on the throne isn't capable of carrying the weight that that's required to to hold that responsibility. Yeah. Only one person can sit on the throne 
and bring you life. Every other person that sits on that or tries to sit on that throne will kill you. And so, I don't know, Sylvia, what, what do you think as a newly married woman? Who, yes. You know, I think um, I would absolutely agree. And I think that merge our premarital class is good at addressing some of this, but I know not everybody that is married at Watermark or has come through has gone through merge, but just talking about how often you can build that up. And it can also be a hindrance to your marriage. If you have put so much weight on finding the joy in your sexual intimacy, that it could actually crush, you know, a marriage. That's why there's so much conflict about sex money, things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I would agree. And that's, that's one of the things that I think people who are married or people who have been sexually active can, mm-hmm. can attest to because there, there is on one sense, uh, abstinence or celibacy prior to it is, is, uh, I mean, we're calling people to that. Um, for sure. Jesus is calling people to yeah. that. Um, I think, I think the privilege that I think married people or people who've been sexually active in their life is now they can look back and be like, Oh, I know that that won't give me life. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas people prior, I think, sometimes struggle with thinking that, oh, life is found there. And it's like, no, it's life not. Life is found like, nowhere and I, but and the I, cross. Yeah, exactly, and I think right. it's also important because in marriages, of course, there's you still see like infidelity and pornography yeah, totally. and things like that. So if people that are expecting everything to be fixed by having sex, yep. then why, you know, obviously there's a greater heart yeah. issue going yeah, on. Yeah, and I think that's where we have to, I want to circle back to yeah. it too, because really in reality, we live in a culture that is saturated by sexuality mm-hmm. and by mm-hmm. making a God out yeah, of it's sex, been made God. you know, yeah. and pornography yeah. just even makes it even further down yep. the line. Yep. And I think one of the struggles and one of the biggest questions I hear from people who struggle with this issue and try to resolve their faith and sexuality is that they think there is no fulfillment, no pleasure outside of sex. And that is an erroneous way of thinking, whether you're ever straight or you're on a post-gay journey and resolving your faith and sexuality. That's a lie Mm -hmm. because our fulfillment our meaning, our purpose is found ultimately in a relationship with Christ. Yeah. And if we don't have that, no matter who we are, then it doesn't matter. You know, you can go into a marriage and if you're seeking for sex to be the be all end all, you're going to be sadly disappointed yeah. after the honeymoon. He didn't yeah. see his Nate motioning that the mic just dropped as Hope was saying that. <laughs> personally thought she was going to say if you you can find fulfillment in owning a cat but that it took a, it took a left turn so i i want to i want to move the conversation speaking of sharp left turns i want to move the conversation wow to, I, you know hope you have you have been for me uh, I've, I've called you my sherpa before i've come to you and just said hey hope help me you know, this is a yeah. this is a struggle that i don't want to be offensive i don't mm-hmm. want to cause grief and as i'm talking to folks i don't want to put up a barrier um in in my maybe careless words or my ignorance and uh, where there is genuine love. There has also been failure, not just on my part, the church's part. So help us. What are things that um, as Christians, as a church that we can do for our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors who are gay? What are things we shouldn't do? Um, and then what are things that we can do? Because I, I just think um, there, here, for those of you listening there, we have a genuine love of of our friends who are struggling mm-hmm. with this yeah. and we have a genuine love for those even who maybe are going this isn't a struggle this is who i am you need to know that we do love and care for you mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. help us you know help us now yeah well you know first of all all christians are called to love others mm-hmm. that is a primary as you know the golden rule 
You know, we're called to love others and to love them well. And we're also called to stand firm on the truth. And there's a balance of love and grace mm-hmm. there, you know, and a love of truth. And so I, I think th- if, if I could interrupt you just for a second, so because I think this is so crucial, is that because a lot of times I think people divorce the idea of love and truth. Yeah, right. They do. And and that is not true. That also is a lie. Right. In the chapter on love in in First Corinthians thirteen, love is patient, love is kind. It's not it's not boast, it's not proud. It does not delight in evil, but, but rejoices. rejoices with the truth. Right. Yeah. So there is an aspect of love that that love and truth coexist with one they another. They do. In fact, they can't be divorced. Yeah. And that's the that's the lie of the enemy is telling you like, well, you're trying to tell me the truth, but that's not loving. And I'm like, whoa. If I don't tell you the truth, then I'm not loving you. Yeah. You know, now there's a way to do that. Sure, that but I you're, think not is, is, symbol, you're not a clinging symbol, right? You're not, you're not yeah. a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, and let me kind of just move on from that point too. Is that I think it's a you know, secondly, and these are the Christiany things that we have to do, but they're really meaningful when you do them with the right heart. Is that you have to pray. You have to pray hard for your friends to be led and guided into all truth. And central to any conversation is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus has to be the priority. But then beyond that, moving beyond the whole issue of sexuality, we need to invest in relationships with other people, you know. And I have several relationships with gay-identified people that are very meaningful to me. One of my longest friends, you know, is gay identified and I love her to death. Mm -hmm. And my greatest hope for her is to come to know Jesus. But even if she doesn't, I'm still going to love her and I'm still going to affirm her as a person. And then we have to move on to some uh, things that I think are really important that we um, Recognize, and I know for folks that have been raised in a church and kind of sheltered from this issue and not engaged with a lot of gay friends, um, even the term homosexual can be offensive to a gay identified person. Man, if you had told me that even five or six years ago, I hated it when I heard it in a sermon Mm -hmm. because for me, it was so negative in the connotation and it was so about the bad experiences I'd had with Christians. Mm -hmm. And my whole mindset was that all Christians are biased, uneducated, hateful, Mm -hmm. and they're intolerant. Mm -hmm. So there's a messaging that goes with that. So I prefer to use terms like gay identified, same-sex attraction, LGBT people. I think then the other thing that is very offensive because, again, it takes time. You have to build relational capital with someone to even talk about a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's a mm-hmm. lifestyle? Mm-hmm. You're talking to a person that says, my whole identity is yeah, my sexuality. It's not, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a lifestyle. Yeah. So those things are things we ought to throw out the door. Um, secondly, I think it's how we approach people, the tone that we have with them, even in your social media. You know, I, you know, there's funny stuff out there and then there's stuff that is just downright hurtful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys in particular will post things that they think is funny about an effeminate guy and think that's great. Or they'll make an impersonation of them. Man, I have to tell you, I struggle still to this day. I just want to go stuff a sock in somebody's (laughs) mouth when they do that because they don't know who's watching them, especially on social media, man. You don't know who's 
read your retreat, your retweet, your repost, all of those things. Or who's so, really struggling. Yeah, you know? who's I mean, really struggling. A, often not a safe yeah. environment in some churches. And so, you know, you hear people make light of something and then later you find out, you know, gosh, it's like, you know, sort of these things like you never joke about rape. You never joke yeah. about, sort, you don't joke about yeah. people's mamas. You don't joke about, and there's sort of a sense of, we, we forget sometimes that in social media that we're not just talking to our circle of friends, which is still inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but there's a reach there that's wounding. Yeah. And, and we it need is. to keep that in mind. Yeah. I, thanks for adjusting that. There was several questions about like, hey, how do I address the folks without building up walls? How do I eliminate some of those walls? And do you think that there is a difference for, you know, engaging with non-believers versus believers? Yes. And, yeah, absolutely. And so for non-believers, kind of what would you say first steps? Like I know, you know, the answer is probably Jesus, but is there another, you know? Well, it's all about relational capital, especially yeah. in our society today. People 35 and under in particular, they are all about relationship, mm -hmm. man. And if you don't build a relationship with a person, you have no right to speak yeah. into but their go life. back to those four A's. I've heard you use them. So there's affirmation, there's affection, attention, attention and, and acceptance. And acceptance. And acceptance isn't about saying, hey, man. I accept you and you don't have to change. Acceptance is I accept you as a person created in the image of right, God. Right. And I care about you and I'm inviting you into my Love life. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I think because that's sometimes so many times I ask you, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. And by the grace of God, I've, you know, the Lord's using me despite my lack of expertise. But hope's been helpful. But I think so many times people end up talking to the person and the only conversation they can keep having over and over again is their sexuality. And then you have to remind them, like, they are more than their sexuality. That's what you're trying to communicate to them. Yeah. And yet you're doing the exact opposite by only addressing their sexuality. And we forget, well, if they are made in the image of God, there's so much we can affirm. There's so much yeah. we can be affectionate about. We're so much. Find um, common ground. Yeah, find yeah. common ground that you are so much. I mean, like, Hope, I love you. We would have been friends anyways. Like, we you probably would have hated me because I was a Christian. But, I mean, we, you know, she you and I are. You. Yeah, we're kindred spirits. We're lionesses. I might have stuffed it down. Stuck in my mouth. Yeah, and I probably would have earned it. Uh, yeah. But I hope now that you, you know, I've been I've been shaped by you and others that there is a sense of if we really do believe that people are more than their sexuality, then we should also look for that common ground yeah. to be able to affirm and love folks. And, and, and I think that that's even in my life when there were seasons where I wasn't walking with the Lord to still be loved and encouraged by the church yeah. is something that was instrumental in moving me out of codependency and towards healthy relationships with women and, mm -hmm. and others. And mm -hmm. so uh, we're getting close to wrapping up hope. And so last thing you would tell people, I mean, you, I know you're on the forefront here and, and what I love about you hope is your story went from being a, a gay rights activist to the other day you were accused of being a Christian activist. Yeah. I know for you, um, that's what? actually a, a moment of high praise. And, and I think, Hope, I, I often, I love partnering with you in ministry stuff around here because I, every time I spend time with you, I always think of when you are the example that they're the years that the locusts have eaten away and that God is, there's nobody too far gone. And I think 20 years ago, somebody would have looked at your life, Hope, and said, no way. This woman's not going to be a Christian activist anytime. And so just last closing thoughts you would have for anybody out there who may be struggling or somebody who has a, a loved one they deeply care for that they're thinking they're too far gone. What would you say? And Anna called, this one is one outstanding question, Anna called to see, you know, how can women at Watermark, like anything we need to be aware of, any stumbling blocks that we are putting in the way that we should be aware of? Well, I think that it's really important to accept people as they are, you know, Hey, for all of us, we come broken and wounded to the cross and we need to pray diligently. God, let me see this person 
as you see them, mm. as you value them. And I think that the stumbling or the, the thing that we can do most for both our gay identified friends and family that are off in the far country or the ones that struggle and are trying to struggle well is that we need to model what healthy same sex relationships look like. That we can't back away and say, oh, you're attracted to women. That means that you really can't be friends with yeah. anyone. Can't Men. vacation with you. Yeah. Can't hug you. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you know what? Honestly, I think that's a big fear and a big misnomer and that we need to get over and we need to just say, right. you are my brother, you are my sister, mm -hmm. you are a child created in the image of God, and I'm not ashamed or intimidated to spend time with you. Mm -hmm. And because Jesus wouldn't be. I, I think yeah. if Jesus were here today, if he had seen me in Seattle eight years ago, he'd said, let's go to Starbucks or probably another coffee shop because mm -hmm. Starbucks is not my favorite. But <laughs> He'd said, hey, let's sit down. Let's have a yeah. cup of coffee. I just want to get to know you. I want to love on you. That's great. Cool. Love it. Well, Hope, thank you for your time today. This has been really helpful. And uh, I think if you have other outstanding questions, mm -hmm. yeah, continue to interact with Sylvia. She'll be on for a few more minutes. And I think, yeah, just uh, go love someone today. Yeah, you all could use a little accept, more Yeah, accept them for where they are, but love them enough to, to shepherd them with the truth that Jesus, yeah. that Jesus loves them and that there's hope found at the cross so next month yeah <laughs> not that this bells, hasn't been exciting bells, but all the way. so next Egg month nine. is all about christmas we're going to talk about rudolph will be the, here yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about why why a christmas tree where did santa claus come from when was jesus actually born in the calendar year was yeah. it december the 25th and i'll probably bring up elf on the shelf because i do have some opinions <laughs> about him um awesome. yeah so anyway, uh, just yeah. Eggnog. That's, uh, hey, uh, next month will be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll probably be jingle belling, and there may or may not be a, a reindeer in there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, hey, thanks for the time, and we hope you guys uh, have a great rest of the day and a good start to your holiday season.